0: She's always been the type of person that just says things and she just speaks her mind. I guess that has a little bit to do with not having a formal education.
1: Hello everybody, welcome back to the Body Serve. My name is Jonathan. And I'm James. It's been a little while since we've last been on air. So just it has. how long has it been? Like a little over two weeks?
0: Uh I don't
1: know, maybe three weeks. Our last episode was the wrap up of the Australian Open. That much mm-hmm. we know. <laughs> a lot of tennis has happened since we've tried to well, I for sure have been paying attention because I have to do these weekly recaps for this week in tennis. Right. Which proved very useful for you when it comes to preparing for the podcast.
0: Because I have definitely been derelict, shall we say, in my tennis watching duties. If this
1: were Twitter, that would be a reusable tweet. Excuse you? you? (laughs) I want somebody to go back and look at the receipts and tell us how many times in the podcast (laughs) history you've said that.
0: Listen, listen. (laughs) This podcast was your idea, first of all. But also, like, I have things going on in my life.
1: Yeah, you are very busy.
0: Yeah, you know, I have successfully completed five weeks of school. (laughs) (laughs) And I am worse for wear. I'm in the middle of my reading week break, and I'm, like, burning out during break. What is that? You're just a little bit older now, you know? You're not used to the
1: grind of being
0: in school full-time. That is not it. That's not it? No. Anyway... Although I haven't really been watching tennis, I am aware that it has been going on.
1: Uh Uh-huh. Quite a few folks reached out to us today and yesterday uh, with Justin Gimelstab's appearance on John Wertheim's podcast. And so we're going to be getting into that a little bit later, because as you might imagine,
0: we have thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) We've sort of become like the Justin Gimelstab podcast somehow. And I personally am getting a little tired of it because I feel like it's a broken record.
1: But there definitely is stuff to address based on what he said. We're, we're not going to rehash the whole thing, you know, in terms of his history. But we're yeah, going to, yeah. we have a few things to say. And then later on in the episode or rant for this week, we're going to be talking about Beyonce and the release of Formation, the backlash <laughs> to Formation and her Super Bowl performance. And then we're going to segue into the Grammys and Miss Taylor Swift, the one and the only. Mm -hmm. The singularly talented Taylor Swift. And we're going to tie in some Cam Newton and the Williams sisters into all of that. So stick with us. All right. (laughs) If that sounds interesting.
0: (laughs) So Venus has won her 49th title in Taiwan. Very exciting. In Kaohsiung. Yeah. Is that how you say it? I think so, yeah. Look at me. You know, I was surprised that there was even a tournament in Asia. Um, I had never heard At of this that time tournament. of year. Well, is uh, it the first year? Uh, well,
1: it's the first year, but also apparently Venus said in her acceptance speech on court that she was happy to have tennis back in Taiwan for the first time in over twenty years. Really? Yeah. Ever the ambassador, saying such wonderful things about Taiwan and the people there, and how happy she was to be there to bring tennis back. You know,
0: mm-hmm. I have this feeling that when Venus retires, she's just gonna like relocate to china (laughs) you know (laughs) because basically she's taking up lina's mantle of the asian ambassador i kind of wish the
1: olympics were somewhere in asia this year on a nice fast grass court (laughs) (laughs) well she's been playing pretty well indoors on hard courts i will say though venus didn't play anywhere near her best tennis no she was still heavily strapped on the left thigh, the mm-hmm. left leg. However, her movement was much better than in Australia. And in fairness to her, you know, she got Johanna Kanta in Australia, who went on to make the semifinals. Right. And then she lost to, before that, she lost to Kazatkina in Auckland, who's also had a very good start to the year.
0: So she wasn't losing to no punks. <laughs> right. But she was also playing quite poorly. She was. So going into this tournament in Taiwan... She was in really bad shape, uh-huh. not, not physical shape, but, yeah. you know, it was basically the worst start to the year that you could have expected,
1: mm-hmm. especially since she had so many points defending to start the year as well. Right. But my point in saying that is when Venus is playing somebody now that she should beat, she's able to find a way, even when she's not playing her best tennis. And that's something that we saw consistently last year. And that's what we saw again in Gauchon. She won all her matches in straight sets, even though you're watching for a while and you're like, how is the score not closer? Or every time she got challenged, she would just find a way to win eight games in a row. (laughs) I wasn't complaining, let me tell you. (laughs) I was happy to not get those 4 a.m. third set tiebreak heartbreaks. Right.
0: We have to worry about our
1: health here. Right. You know, not in February. (laughs) Like That (laughs) stuff. Right. I don't need that in February. So she's now currently ranked 13th, and those 280 points from Kaohsiung will go a long way. Mm-hmm.
0: They're basically replacing the points that she lost in Auckland, right? No, they're, those are already gone. Well, right. <laughs> the Auckland and the Australian. No, what
1: it does is it offsets the points that she forfeited by not showing up in Dubai and Doha. Oh, okay. All but 10 points of those points that are falling off. After next week in Doha, from those two tournaments, she's recouped them.
0: So she has confirmed she's not playing Doha?
1: Yes. Okay. Well, she hasn't. I got confirmation from somebody
0: who's on site. Oh, I see. In Dubai right now. And Serena is not playing either as well, Correct. Right? Because Serena, it's like this thing
1: she does know where this time of year she gets a cough that <laughs> starts showing up before her HSN appearance. Yeah. And then you get a few more coughs on Snapchat, you know, uh-huh. like laying the groundwork. It's like when you need to miss school and you start, oh, yeah. you
0: start. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sick. <laughs> yeah, I guess before she goes on HSN, she just like drinks a lot of honey, you know, some ginger tea. Yeah. Um, but you know what? These girls are old. These women. These women. The women's. Are old. <laughs> so this is managing their schedule. It's probably a very prudent decision not to fly halfway around the world and play in the Gulf states at this time of year. You know, we have the American hardcore swing coming up. I was just complaining to you mm-hmm. when this week. How, you said
1: complain. I'm just like, when, which time? I know. Of day. Can
0: you narrow that down, please? <laughs> Morning, noon, or uh, night. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, there were people playing in Taiwan and St. Petersburg in South America last week. Um, to expect these players to go from Australia to Europe or South America, fly back to uh, the, the U.S. the U.S. fly over to the Arabian Peninsula, play there, come back to the U.S. for the hardcourt swing, which is a grueling two weeks in Indian Wells and Miami. I've always and felt then, that those
1: two weeks were so misplaced. They are in the schedule
0: because there are two American hardcourt seasons. Mm-hmm. And then fly back to Europe, and this is all basically before May. And it's then, too much. No,
1: but then you are going to have the Americans having to go fly to Australia for Fed Cup. Mm. After all,
0: this is said and done. Like, who's got time for that? Right. And then, if you are American, you are spending basically from April till possibly July in Europe, Europe. Yeah, you know. So I don't blame them for pulling out of Dubai, Doha, whatever. Mm. Um, I did want to mention, just be a little shady for a moment, Mm -hmm. congrats to K Nishikori for winning Memphis for the fourth time. Uh Uh-huh. You know, any title... Why is that shady? Well, because there were some elements (laughs) calling into question the field in Kaohsiung, Mm -hmm. you know, saying Venus's win was like, whatever. uh, I
1: don't think it was quite that shady. It was a bit flippant and unnecessary.
0: Okay. Okay. I mean... Clearly, you can look at the draw. There were no top 10 players other than Venus in that tournament. Mm-hmm. Fine. But she went. She collected her appearance fee. She did a little ambassadoring. And she <laughs> got won. Got some points. And guess what? She won.
1: Yeah. She's
0: got 49 of these things now. You know, there's there's no reason to call into question Venus's accolades. I mean,
1: especially when Kay's going to win four in a row and it's like, oh, congrats. Right. No qualifier. And the
0: thing is... Kay is a top ten player at times in his career, damn near a top five player. Mm-hmm. You know? There is
1: no way he should be losing to anybody
0: right. in that Memphis field. Yeah, the Memphis tournament is nice. I'm sure it's a great tournament to go they to. Have some the cool field is trophies. not super the field is just not super competitive. Did you
1: see the he has like four of those giant guitars now?
0: Oh, they're guitars? Yeah. Oh. Awesome. <laughs> I like Kay. I'm not saying this to denigrate him at all. Just saying, a little, uh, I don't know. Because a little she's kind of damned, damned nice. if you
1: do, damned if you don't. Because, say, she goes and loses first round, well, it's like, oh my God, the calamity of it all. Right. <laughs> you know, like, which narrative are we going to p- pull to the bag next?
0: And also, Venus is 35. She's suffered a lot of injuries in her career, a lot of lost time. And if she wants to make money and win some titles right now, more power to her. It also seems like
1: she really enjoys the traveling and seeing new places. She really does. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I'm saying I think she's going to settle in Asia someday. And I think that must be very difficult for a lot of Americans
0: to understand. (laughs) (laughs) You mean like the majority who don't have a passport because they don't want to go anywhere? Right. I met this one dude in
1: undergrad. This is taking it back a decade now. Who looked me in the face and was just bewildered. That I would find it strange that he neither had a passport nor had any desire ever to leave the United (laughs) States.
0: Ever in his life. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's mind-blasting to me. Mm. I can understand if you have financial constraints. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. But that's not what that was. No.
1: This is like hashtag America.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, we have a few new residents of the top Mm ten this week. Belinda Benchich who has been rising pretty quickly for some time now.
1: It's it was a 2014 US Open that she made that quarterfinal and you just kind of expected her to just Martina Hingis her way to the top. <laughs> right. And of course it's taken a little bit longer than Martina did oh, obviously yeah. because it was a different time and Belinda's not Martina
0: 1.0. Right. But
1: it's still pretty quick. She's still only 18. She's top 10. And I think I tweeted at the time that this feels significant. That this is a, an official arrival of sorts for, for Benchich. Mm. Well, she just has a, feels like she has a certain pedigree about her that she's going to be around for a while.
0: Okay. She had a hell of a Fed Cup. Yeah. She beat uh, our Australian Open champion, Kerber, in I think what was her first match after winning the Australian mm-hmm. Open, right? The other new top tenor is someone I'm less happy to share. And that's our old friend. Roberta. Emphasis on old? Is that what you're saying? Yeah.
1: Because she just had a birthday. She turned 33. Right when she hit She's the top 10. 33? I know. When she hit the top <laughs> 10, you are so shady. <laughs> um, that is very ageist. It is. I take that back. Anyway, Roberta Vinci is in the top 10. Her birthday present was getting into
0: the top yeah. 10 for the first time. For the first time in her career. Yeah. Before her previous career high was number 11. Right. Which Since she was 11, and I knew that, it bugged me that they kept calling her a journey woman. Mm -hmm. Saying that, you know, a journey woman beats Serena Williams. Yeah, Somebody's no one ever heard of. Like, what? She's won several majors and doubles. Yeah, And she's been around for a long time. And she was ranked 11 at one point. So just stop.
1: She gets no respect. So maybe, in spite of our bitterness still toward her, and that whole, you know, final against Venus... Where she went a little bit, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know, uh, insert your adjective there. (laughs) (laughs) You know, kudos to her. It's entirely understandable if she just fell by the wayside in 2016. She'd already said that maybe she's retiring at the end of this year. She had what will likely be the highlight of her career Mm. last year. And she's still
0: improving, possibly. And correct me if I'm wrong, she said that she was planning on retiring at the end of the season, right? She had said that last year. Yeah, I
1: don't think she said she was planning, but it's possible.
0: Okay. Okay. Because it's not definite. Right now, like, why would you retire? You know. (laughs) I mean, why would Panetta retire? Yeah, I know. I mean, you you go when you want to go. All right. Fair enough. (laughs) Uh, Now, speaking of someone I'm going to be less charitable to, our old friend, Sarah Arani... Who is in Another the Dubai friend. final,
1: as we speak. Yeah, I'm
0: so glad for her that she's playing so well. We're, she's we're, we're such <laughs> a rude, rude person.
1: We're not doing this chronologically. We're just kind of like speaking about whoever we want to speak about that's been notable yeah. the last few weeks. So
0: I'm sure you all have heard she made a little comment about her opponent, Madison Brengel, which I found very rude and discourteous. This is
1: actually the one thing that I did not hear.
0: Oh, okay. So you got to tell me. She said in press that she basically expected that something was going to happen because it was Madison Bringle, meaning she kind of expected Madison to choke. Basically, you know, she knew she'd have a chance because this girl can't get it together upstairs, which is totally unsurprising considering the source, but it's rude (laughs) and it's unsportsmanlike. And I just wanted to mention uh, it.
1: Maybe it's a translation issue i highly doubt or it's esl true. or
0: etl e- english as a third language <laughs> she because she does speak spanish as a uh-huh. second language anyway that's just i want to document this in case anyone asks why i don't like her okay i'll I mean, have the, another reason there are you know? many
1: many reasons right not to like but
0: her. i just want to get them down okay you know so i can draw upon them <laughs> so i'm going to index this
1: when somebody meets you on the street Walking home from the bar. It's like, I
0: heard what you said about Ronnie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now I have receipts. So what else do you want to talk about?
1: Well, back to the top 10 business. It was kind of neat in that Vinci beat Bencic in the final of St. Petersburg, Mm -hmm. which didn't take her to the top 10. But Bencic had made the top 10 by making the semis or the final that week. So the final result was inconsequential for her, Right. It wasn't until the following week, a day or two later, when Vinci lost in the first round of Dubai, that she then fell into the top (laughs) ten. When players ahead of her, you know, lost early as well. Right. Uh, So there's kind of a a neat little symbiosis between Vinci and Benchic and their top ten arrivals. mm -hmm. Old and new.
0: Yeah. Speaking of Dubai, a rather interesting thing happened. During the first round of Dubai. Do you want to share? What's that? Well. (laughs) Oh, 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 (laughs) oh. So what
1: happened was. (laughs) All all eight of the top seeds in Dubai lost their first match, which is kind of nuts. I mean, all eight. Every last one of them. (laughs) And there were. Uh, WTA insider Courtney Nguyen and then Steve Tenure both wrote pieces about it, mm-hmm. talking about the the historical nature of it and what to extrapolate. And you know, I, uh, I'm not really interested in making proclamations <laughs> one way or the other, because like uh, they, if you look at each person in those top eight seeds, there's a reason to explain the loss, mm-hmm. so to speak. Everybody's kind of had a rough start to the year, the right?
0: Break. And, you know, Hollop is really sort of an injury mess right now. She needs to get surgery on her nose. Um, I, I don't, we don't even know if that's it. It could just virus. be not
1: being able to get herself into form.
0: Right, right.
1: She seems healthy enough to show up and play.
0: But I'm sure it must have compromised her training, right? Yeah. Um, you know, Kvitova is obviously not in a good space she lost both of her FEDCO matches which is very uncharacteristic uh-huh. for her and Pliskova really really bailed out Czech Republic mm-hmm. in that tie. Muguruza is having not a super year. She's won, you really? know, she's won several matches. <laughs> I think several has to be more than 2, right? Oh, yeah. She's won a, a couple a pair of a matches. Pair, <laughs> a duo a of matches. Um She's had several losses. Sadly, Bouchard has won more matches <laughs> than Mugurusa this year. Why is that sad? So, I don't know. Future number one? Maybe. <laughs> Think about it.
1: Do you know what 60-odd times one is?
0: Uh, why are you challenging me right now to do it's math?
1: Bouchard's ranking.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's... The good news is that she has very few points to defend for the rest of the year, especially at majors. Genie? Yeah. So you
1: managed to get the good news and some shade rolled up into one. Yeah. <laughs> That's what
0: we call a backhanded compliment.
1: On the women's tour as well, Santina is still riding high. hmm They won 40 matches in a row. Oh, my God. And they need five more to pass Novotna and Sukova. Mm-hmm. Who Currently, have the longest streak since
0: 1990. Okay, do we know who had the longest streak before then? I believe it was Shriver
1: and Navratilova, like That's well who over I would 100. Guess. Yeah. yeah,
0: now I'm getting sort of tired of seeing Santina, <laughs> <laughs> so I imagine the rest of the doubles field is very, very tired of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a fun story.
1: I'm happy to see doubles, you know, back in the limelight. Yeah, I mean, I grew up with 90s tennis where doubles was on TV. Where the right. top woman played doubles against each other. Mm-hmm. Navatna and Arancha played doubles together. You know, right? Hingis and Navatna, Hingis and Arancha, like the women all except for Steffi Hingis and
0: Kornikova. Yeah,
1: the top women all played tennis and it was a main event. Right. So I'm glad to have this kind of glamour mm-hmm. back in in doubles.
0: I just I would love to see Lucy uh, Shafajova get healthy and She's play with Bethany Mattek again. 'Cause I'd really love to see those two teams kind of battle mm-hmm. it out the top of women's doubles, you know?
1: There's also the Chen sisters who are still playing well. Yeah.
0: And if we could get Serena and Venus to play here and there, that would be incredible.
1: You know? I my one of my goals and hopes for twenty sixteen is to have Santina and the Williamses play. In a big match. Oh my god. Can that you would imagine? Be so much fun. Like Wimbledon final. Well, I mean, we won't get seed on TV because ESPN will have other plans.
0: <laughs> or you know, some Well, but if the Williams sisters are playing in a final, they will probably show at least part of it. Maybe. Okay. Some other really good news this week is that Juan Martin Del Potro is making a comeback. Yeah. He's playing in Delray Beach, Florida which is a 250 tournament that he's played before. Um, And it feels like it has been so, so long since we've seen him. It's been almost a year. Right. In the span of two
1: years, he's played only a handful of tournaments. Right. So it's been multiple extended layoffs for him. And he's immediately, without losing a set in three matches, into the semifinals.
0: Yeah. Which I was really surprised by. I mean, he must have planned this to make sure he was really ready to compete Mm -hmm. On the ATP, you know, not just be able to hit a few balls.
1: Well, let's not forget either that he is, when healthy, an elite player. Yeah, he was the Varenko before Varenko.
0: <laughs> and you know, he's he's already talking about well, if I get my backhand back to where it should be, then I'm really gonna compete. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, you just won your first three matches in straight sets. You beat Chardy. You beat Kudla. You know, these are not no-name players. So, he plays query next. By the time you hear this, that match may have already happened. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) So, we'll see. Yeah. But, honestly, even if he loses in the next match, I feel like this tournament has to be considered a big success. Oh, yeah. And he's gotten a wild card into Indian Wells.
1: One of these years, I just need to go to Indian Wells. Yeah. Can we make that happen? Like, maybe next year? Okay. Because next year, if Venus is still around. That could be maybe the last chance to see both of them in Indian Wells. I feel Mm -hmm. like that would be pretty cool.
0: And another player on the comeback trail is Ashley Barty. Who left, as you know, a few years ago because she wanted to play cricket. She was just kind
1: of over tennis. And the (laughs) grind and the... I, I don't really know what the reasons exactly were. But she stepped away from the game. At the time, said it was indefinite. And then shortly thereafter, we heard she was playing domestic cricket in Australia, Mm -hmm. which as somebody who played both sports growing up, there is a whole lot in common between the two. So if she had any background at all in cricket, it wasn't surprising that she'd be good at it if she was that elite at tennis, you know?
0: Um, So can you tell us maybe just a little bit about what it means to play domestic cricket in Australia? Uh, like, are you playing for your city or for your region? Or how does it work? Yeah, you're just playing for your city, your parish, your
1: whatever your local setup is. Yeah. Like, you're playing state against state. And, and they may call it in Australia state cricket. I oh, think okay. that's what they call it.
0: But I imagine that in Australia, women's cricket is highly competitive. I would think. Right. Yeah. They're a huge sporting nation, and cricket is like at the top.
1: Women's of that. cricket is at its peak in. England, Australia, and the West Indies. Those are probably the three top women's teams Mm -hmm. in the world.
0: So she's managed to be an elite
1: athlete in two sports. Well, she didn't make Australia's team. Oh, okay. She didn't play for Australia. The national team. So There was speculation that had she stuck with cricket for at least a year longer, Mm. um, she would have likely been selected to play for Australia. Uh, But, I mean, in in her first batting innings... As a cricket professional, she made runs. I think she made a over 50 or something like that, which takes some wow. doing.
0: Do they call it a batswoman in women's cricket, or do they call it a <laughs> batsperson?
1: <laughs> it's not a batter, which is what I you I wish Yankees, they would just call it
0: batter. Because it's not fucking
1: baseball. <laughs> it's called a batsman. Okay, That's just the way it is. It's not gender appropriate, mm-hmm. but that's just the way it is. Okay. But if you recall, Barty, at the age of, what, 17, made Mm -hmm. three mixed doubles Grand Slam finals with Casey DeLacqua.
0: Women's doubles? Yeah. No,
1: you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. She had peaked somewhere in the low 100s, or I guess you'd say high 100s. I don't know. Closer to 100 than 200. (laughs)
0: Okay. Thank you for clarifying.
1: the. And she was on her way to possibly doing better. I remember when she played Serena in Australia, right? Right. And so she had a very high profile before just putting aside what looked to be a very lucrative tennis career. So welcome right. back.
0: And God, good for her for playing cricket because she wanted to. Yeah. and you now know she
1: says she's coming back, but she's taking it really slow. She played some very minor tournament in mm. Perth, playing doubles with people and against people I've never heard of before. <laughs> You know, she won the tournament the first week out. So, you know, hopefully she she's able to do things on her own terms this time around and it will mm-hmm. be a much more enjoyable experience. Just a couple more things on what's been going on in tennis before we head into our non tennis Our Beyonce portion of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> or pop culture centered. <laughs> oh, no, we still have to talk about Mr. Uh, Gimelstab we have uh, forgotten about that. Yeah. Okay, so let's breeze through this a little bit. So Taylor Fritz is on the cusp of the top 100. Big whoop.
0: Big ups to him.
1: Yeah. I still am not excited about it. I don't really find his game exciting. It's a wonderful thing, I guess. When I see something more concrete from mm-hmm. him, I guess I'll I'll take the Milos Raonic approach for now. Yeah.
0: I mean, my approach to young men's tennis players, especially American, because that's the media that we get... My approach is to hold for now, until one of them breaks through. Because in the past ten or so years, it's only been Isner to break through, and really, Query. how far has he broken through? No, I mean, he was top thirty. Uh, yeah, but I mean, Jack sucks. Isner has been in the top ten. Yeah, you know, but Query has never really been close to, you know, Query's not someone people have predicted to win majors. Okay, Isner on the strength of his serve, maybe. For oh, some we people. still
1: have Jack Sock right now.
0: We do. Yeah. Yeah. But the point is I'm just gonna hold on the whole USTA machine for now. Congrats to Taylor's Fritz, not taking anything away from it. I like
1: these other marginal US guys who are, you know, struggling to stay in the top one hundred. Mm. Like Smichek if he wins this week, he can get back into the top one hundred. Here's Dennis Kudla. There's uh well Steve Johnson, Steve Johnson. is more accomplished now. Right. Rajiv Ram has a new career high after this week. Yeah. There are all these these etc. American players who are far more interesting to me than the, <laughs> the guys on top, save for Jack Sock. Big
0: ups to Dominic Dominic Team. Yeah, long been a favorite like, of mine. he is really breaking out on clay right now, and we knew that that was his best surface, but damn.
1: He beat Rafa in the semifinals of Buenos Aires last week, then went on to beat... Almagro in the final, correct? Correct. Almagro who had already beaten David Ferrer. Yeah,
0: who basically shocked Ferrer in the semifinals. And then this week he's beaten team
1: has beaten Ferrer Mm -hmm. in the quarterfinals. And he's on course to play potentially Rafa in the final in Rio. So if he makes the final, I'm not gonna say if he wins the tournament. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, the implications of what that would mean. Right. But if he makes the, the, even if he, if he loses in the semifinal, it's been a hell of a couple weeks and we're always hearing about who's next, who's next, who's next. And I've always felt that he would be the one personally, Mm -hmm. or maybe I wanted him to be the one. Right.
0: (laughs) The one in several respects. Several respects. Right.
1: Except (laughs) for when he speaks, I cannot deal with his accent. It's like, Schwarzenegger, he sounds just like Schwarzenegger. he's
0: from Austria. I know it's, that creeps me out. It just does. I really, really like his social media presence. Yes. And like his very interesting use of English. And, and I, also how he chooses to translate what he's written in German.
1: And I love that he uses Facebook to give match recaps of pretty much every match right. he plays.
0: <laughs> and so when he beat Rafa, he
1: was like, vamos beats vamos. <laughs> I don't
0: really know what vamos is.
1: I guess it's just a his... Written pronunciation of the word, oh, okay. right? Because you know it can be vamos or vamos, right? Depending on where you're from. Well,
0: and it's kind of like this uh, hybrid BV sound, yes. That I can't make.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Anytime you try to speak Spanish, it just sounds like Italian.
0: Yeah, which is the curse of speaking another Romance language. Uh huh. So yes,
1: as you said, big up to Dominic team, kudos. Looking forward to big big things, the rest of the year.
0: I would love to see a Rafa team final and have it go Rafa's way this time. Yes, you know, so they kind of split these because two. Because it, mm-hmm. it was a very close
1: before. It was a third set tiebreak that Rafa lost, um, which could have gone either way fairly easily. Right.
0: I feel like the fields this year are better. Team is. I mean, you have John Isner traveling
1: to South America. Hello. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he didn't do very well though. Oh, speaking of which, John Isner plays. Rio, right? And so there are all these pictures, these promo stuff before the tournament starts where he's in a helicopter with Jack Sock and Tomas Belucci.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Bellucci's there, I'm assuming, because he's Brazilian. Right. And he's showing them the sights from the helicopter, you know, Rio from way up high.
0: Right. And he's doing his PR duty Right. For and the we see
1: all these pictures with all three of them in the helicopter. And then Jack Sock goes and tweets. Oh, me and John Isner, something, something, up in the air, or something, something. And he crops Bellucci out of the picture. As if, like, we didn't know who else was in the picture. <laughs> I think you can see, like, a tiny little piece
0: of green uh-huh. from Belucci's shirt. Girls, that is so rude. <laughs> I mean, that is a pure Beyonce move, though. <laughs>
1: so you're saying Belucci is
0: Miss Michelle? No. And or all the others who came before. Listen, Beyonce posted a picture of herself and Aaliyah on Instagram for, I believe it was the anniversary of Aaliyah's death. And she cropped out Kelly. Like Kelly was in the picture. No. And to commemorate somebody's Mm -mm. death.
1: That, um, you know, Beyonce has her moments. Oh, I know. Mm -hmm. So,
0: Jack, don't do that. Okay, let's get into Gimmelstab. Yeah, let's breeze through this. Okay. So I woke this morning to see a tweet from John Wertheim saying, next on Beyond the Baseline podcast, an interview with Justin Gimmelstab. And I was like, R- <laughs> really? Like, all I could do was laugh. Because I feel like it's all we've been talking about. He is utterly ubiquitous. I, don't, I just, I'm, I'm done. Like I went into it with,
1: with an open mind. Okay. Oh. I definitely wanted to hear what he had to say, and also I was very curious to see how Wertheim approached the interview. Mm-hmm. Because we know that there are some serious skeletons right. in that closet, and would they be addressed? What was the purpose of the interview? We had just talked about how that New York Times piece in Australia made it seem like Gimelstob was the most interesting and busy person in the history of professional tennis
0: Oh, yeah. If it was He's like an... Phaedra Parks. He has so <laughs> many jobs. I... <laughs> right? Is he a mortician? Phaedra Parks has like five or six jobs. Mm-hmm. At least. L- not the and least so of which Justin is being a mother
1: to Mr. President and Aiden. And the other one. Dylan. Aiden. Aiden, Aiden. Dylan. Aiden?
0: No, Mr. President
1: is Dylan. The two picnic
0: No, I can't <laughs> remember. Oh, I can't remember.
1: Yeah. Damn. Whatever. What were we talking about? stop. So, like, the first <laughs> the first 15 minutes or so of the podcast is just that, talking about how busy he is, all mm. the things he does, blah, 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 blah. And while all of it was pretty much a snooze fest for me, personally, one thing it did shine light on for me is that stop actually is very knowledgeable when it comes down to the ins and outs, statistical day-to-day happenings on the on the atp tour he knows right. quite a bit right you know i'm not gonna i mean i've called him an idiot i'm sure before for <laughs> other reasons but in terms of basic
0: and in-depth tennis knowledge he's well versed yeah and you know obviously he's not a stupid guy he's educated mm-hmm. he clearly brings something to the table as a commentator Cared to say what that is? I don't think we should. Well, what you just said. Okay. You know, he, well, he's an insider, first of all. He's like the consummate insider. He knows a lot about men's tennis. He's played it. He's coaching it. You know, I I won't take that away from him. Okay. However.
1: Where things got a little bit interesting <laughs> and where we had to pick our jaws up off the floor a few times was when it got into the discussion of conflicts of interest, for one, mm. when Wertheim was pressing him, pressing him on if conflicts of interest in tennis are a problem.
0: Right. And Justin was intractable. Would not hear Wertheim's line of questioning at all. He stood very firm in his position.
1: Well, it wasn't even that he was disagreeing with what John was saying. It's like he couldn't really even see where he was coming from.
0: Yeah, it was like they're speaking two different discourses, Yeah, you know, and... And he does this thing where he tries
1: to make it seem like he's really interested in seeing the other side and seeing what John was trying to say, but then it wasn't... He was basically impenetrable.
0: Yeah. And so one of the things that struck me was (coughs) basically just how much of like a bootstraps Republican Justin Gimelstav is, (laughs) you know, and I'm not saying that to be cute, Um. He'd like that's clearly his worldview. He believes that people who are successful have basically done it themselves and put themselves there. He yeah, said pretty much exactly as much. And so, to be fair to him, this is where he and I will never, ever, ever see eye to eye. Mm-hmm. And that's just who we are. I think he's wrong, but he probably thinks I am too. But it was so clear that he was, John Wertheim was trying to put forward that like this systematic view of conflicts of interest, and, you know, who sort of gets to where they are in the tennis world and why. And Justin was not hearing it. He's very much an individualist. There were
1: two parts to the interview that
0: were really, I like to
1: say mind-blasting, but really (laughs) mind-blasting to me. One being when he said, and I quote, My life has been spent in one of the few meritocracies in the world.
0: This is one of the other like conservative fantasies that really bothers me—that basically pure meritocracies exist at all. First of all, and that because you've gotten somewhere,
1: it's because you did the hard work and you earned it. Right, and people who aren't in that position
0: didn't earn it or didn't work as mm-hmm. hard. This is a Taylor Swiftism, but, by the way, and we'll get to that later. Well, we, we, we've got you, Taylor. I see you,
1: and I rebuke you. <laughs> <laughs> but like, come on, a meritocracy. If tennis were a meritocracy, you'd have gotten what you deserved when you said you're gonna pimp out Anna to your friend because she was too ugly for you to fuck.
0: Essentially, exactly. right?
1: Right. Like, if a school teacher says that about another school teacher and that that's made public, your ass is gone. Right. Like, it's so simple in every other professional setting. In addition, you were, as we've said before in the podcast. You're a mediocre tennis player and you've had many things handed to you as far as Mm -hmm. your positions in tennis. You may have worked hard while you were in those positions, which I have no doubt you have. Right. But in terms of this business of being a meritocracy and earning those positions, highly debatable, given what we know to be true. Like the receipts are everywhere. These are not things that are speculated upon who, oh, girl? You know what I heard? No, like we heard <laughs> no, from very your own lips. You know, mm-hmm. not having that. You know, it's not being very calm about this. I'm, I'm over being like really turned up.
0: Oh about yeah. This, whole issue. this
1: is, you know, we've tread over this territory before. You know, he was very forthcoming in taking responsibility. He said it over and over and over again. You know, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I made a mistake. I wish I could go back and do it over, not do it. That he's embarrassed. He's embarrassed, regretful and that anybody makes him sick. Yes.
0: And you know I believe those. Things. I do, yeah. What struck me was how John Wertheim asked the question.
1: Mhm. It was very tiptoey like don't wake the beast.
0: Yeah, and it it makes me think a little about what a podcast is, you know, and sort of what we're trying to accomplish with this form. Because John Wertheim is a journalist, but what, what really struck me was that, you know, Wertheim asked the question about those horrible comments a few years ago and then said, are you okay with me asking this question? So in any other context, a journalist saying that would be laughable. Mm-hmm. And it was really incredible to me to even hear a reporter say, are you okay with this question? We, but it, this is a podcast. By that
1: time, too it had already been established that they are fairly buddy buddy. You know, like they have a long-standing relationship, that's just that's beyond just being professional,
0: right? You know, and so they're blurred lines. But this genre is mm-hmm. is a lot about rapport, yeah, and about conversation rather than you know the, asking the tough questions, questions yeah. right? You know, so it it was interesting to me. Because you're also, you're not trying to alienate a source, first of all, mm-hmm. someone who's very connected and also someone you probably have to work with, the tennis channel. But I, I also can't imagine John would have had him on the show
1: without giving him a heads up beforehand that he was going right. to ask it. Right. But if you are going to ask the question, and I was sitting there listening to it, not knowing, wondering the entire time, because this didn't happen until like maybe 35, 40 minutes in, if them was going to broach mm-hmm. the topic. Because I was thinking to myself, how can you have him on and then have him present himself as, again, this busiest man in tennis, whatever, mm-hmm. heavily credentialed and not get into the nitty gritty. If we're like trying to do like a Justin Gimelstab hour here, because we right. podcasts tend to not be more than 30 minutes. This one was an hour. It was probably like the longest one. And it was all Gimelstab. Mm-hmm. Right. And then it, it came. It happened. He asked him about it. But it was like, you know, some incident happened, you know, you got in trouble. And for people who and don't... And
0: you overcame it. Right. Which is and what if he people
1: said. are listening to the podcast and don't really know what Gimelstab said, what he actually... Who he said it's about, because Wordham didn't call Kornikova's right. name. Right. And just how bad it was. I think that's the thing that people forget most, is that mm. it was really, really awful. It was. It was some next level shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And all that was not represented or hinted at or touched on in the intro to the question and the questioning. And so Gimelstab's response, if I'm listening to for the first time and I don't know the context, I'm thinking, wow, this dude is so remorseful. Like, what could he have done? Right, right. (laughs) You
0: know? Because he handled the question well. I mean, the question was floated to him. He said, you know, it's inexcusable. It's
1: a tough lesson to learn and that he's proud that he's built a career after that.
0: Right, but like, the Hashtag career... Hashtag meritocracy. The career had already been built, basically. Ah. And what I really objected to was when John Wertheim said it imperiled your career. Because I want to know when did it imperil his career. Because he was promoted by the ATB very shortly after that.
1: He was already a member of the, the board. I
0: know. But they didn't take any action to discipline him. He actually received a promotion. So when was his career imperiled? Maybe he... He should have said it could have or should have imperiled the mm-hmm. career and didn't. Because we <laughs> we never
1: heard from Wertheim what he actually thought. Or, I mean, maybe this was him being like, supposedly objective in the moment. You know, not trying right. to impose his own opinion on it. Stop goes on to say that, you know, he's, he was asked about who are the people that he spoke to during the time to help him through it. Or who reached out to him. Or who did he get advice from? And, you know, he talked about all these people that he, that were affected by it. And I'm thinking to myself, like, this is damn near two minutes in and I haven't heard Kornikova's name Mm -hmm. once, you know? And then so eventually he said, and you know, the biggest thing that I regret, the biggest regret is that, you know, he hasn't been able to apologize to Kornikova personally. Because she ain't having it.
0: (laughs) Can you imagine? She picks up her iPhone and she sees his name on her caller ID. And she's like, hell no. And he said, you know, and that's her right.
1: But I think his words were, she's just unwilling to engage in the process or something like that. The process? And then he said, well, you know, that's her right. And I'm thinking to myself, no shit. And you don't get to opine and like speculate about mm-hmm. this on a podcast, but your words have real consequences to them. Mm-hmm. And she is the victim here. And the same rules apply. Like, right. y- you don't get to wonder out loud in public, oh my God, like <laughs> she won't hear me.
0: You know, it so, ju- but instead of trying to make yourself feel better by apologizing to the person you hurt. Why not, I don't know, throw a few dollars to a women's sexual assault center? I don't know. Something. It's just something. Like, if if at this point to show that you if at w- this point seven to eight
1: years later Anna wants nothing to do with you, that means you should be not your her name should not be in your mouth. No. Other than to say, again, I want to reiterate to Anna Kornikova, I am apologetic to the tenth degree. You know, and that's it. Just move on. Mm just the speculating about and putting forth her reaction to this whole thing in a way that you clearly don't like like it just i felt so icky you know right so that's that so i am
0: more than happy to put this to bed for now
1: yeah unless some fresh bullshit comes up who knows it might be just around the corner This week's Rant, we're going to be talking about Beyonce and Formation, the release of the video right before the Super Bowl, her performance, the backlash, then we're going to talk about the Grammys, Miss Taylor Swift. I have no more side eyes left to give because (laughs) I've spent them all.
0: My eyes have fallen out.
1: (laughs) And then we'll maybe talk about Cam Newton a little bit and make some correlations with tennis and the Williams sisters.
0: All right. All right. Okay, let's get in formation. Have at it. (laughs) So we're so late to this. We were actually considering doing an an emergency podcast about formation. But then two days went into three. And then by four days, it just wasn't really an emergency. We kind of got lazy. We were busy, man. That's true. So Beyonce dropped Formation, the song and video, the day before the Super Bowl. The internet went insane yeah black twitter went crazy i picked you were i think you were doing some work at a starbucks yeah
1: and i picked you up after work i was working you weren't working i picked you up and as soon as you got in the car you're like beyonce released a video and i missed it it like just got released and i I haven't watched it i was like well how was it i haven't watched it yet (laughs) it just just happened (laughs) and so we go home and then you bring it up we connect the HDMI cable from the computer to the TV <laughs> and we're Very seated. Old we're ready and it just plays and we just sit there in silence. And I turn to look at you, you turn to look at me, and this goes on mm-hmm. for like the full five minutes. <laughs> and then it's done, and I'm like, well, damn. Well, damn. Well, damn. That is not what I expected. <laughs> because. That was some kind of awesome celebration
0: of blackness. That's what it is. Yeah, it is. But it is going to be a cultural touchstone. Mm-hmm. You know, it's. I really feel like it's going to be Beyonce's thriller. And people are like, way. "Well,
1: you know, ugh, Beyonce. Like, when did she become political? A hey, girl.
0: <laughs> like, like, how dare have you? Have you been on Ambien for the last two years?" <laughs> <laughs> You know, this is a different phase of Beyonce's politics. Yeah. But it's not like this is new for her. Mm-hmm.
1: And just because she's a robot, don't mean she can't have like
0: political thoughts and be politically active. Right. And have them be meaningful. And I don't know if this is offensive, but she has also been like proudly ratchet for a long, long time. Yeah. You know, it is part of her Beyonce ness houston
1: and the great thing one of the great things about this video and the song is that it blends ratchetness with you know this bill cosby blackness into like a totality of what it means to be black like there's no right there's no wrong in the representation of what it means to be black Mm. this is the totality of many different types of blackness
0: right so if beyonce wants to wear 12 different hairstyles in the video, and they're all weave. Uh Uh-huh. That's okay.
1: And if you want to say, well, one weave is more acceptable than the other, that's (laughs) your own racism
0: at play. If she wants to hang out of a car with these long-ass golden braids, Right. Scraping the street. Like, count those braids. (laughs) (laughs) Right? And, but at the same time, she gets shit for having her little three-year-old daughter wear her natural hair
1: miss blue ivy Mm -hmm. what a gem can we can we talk about
0: blue mean mugging the camera in this video
1: i mean i guess the answer (laughs) is she's the daughter of beyonce and jay-z right regardless of whoever carried her in her womb but
0: (laughs) basically if you're not a beyonce fan this is like Steffi and Andre having children.
1: Right. Okay. (laughs) Like this child is a prodigy. So when she's mugging for the camera at three years old and having it be no thing, like looking like she's about to start her own destiny's child. (laughs)
0: Destiny's grandchildren. (laughs) She's just going to call her group destiny. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's what she
1: is. Well, well, I guess it's it's destiny fulfilled, right? Was it? That, that's been somewhere in... Like, that was something somewhere along the way, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, whatever. She is the fruition.
0: <laughs> it's
1: the remix to fruition. Let's get
0: in fruition. <laughs> so the video itself was... It was basically just like a chain of signifiers of southern blackness, mm-hmm. right? And there were some ex- very, very striking images. Beyonce... Putting her fist up on top of a New Orleans police car. Uh, the As it police car sinks. being engulfed in water. Uh-huh.
1: The last image of the video being Beyonce drowned on top of mm-hmm. this cop car by Katrina water. Right.
0: So, reminding everyone 11 years after the fact that Katrina was a natural disaster and a man made disaster, and that Black Lives Matter is a continuation of anger about Katrina.
1: There's so many facets to this. There are the black gay men everywhere in this video. Mm -hmm. A celebration of black queerness, which we've rarely, rarely seen in hip-hop and Mm -hmm. R&B. But Beyonce has them everywhere in her video.
0: Right. And one of my favorite images from the video is Beyonce dressed all in black with that Mm -hmm. wide-brimmed hat pulled over her eyes. Uh, on the porch of that plantation house, mm-hmm. surrounded by men who are also wearing black. Because the first thing I thought when I saw it was, did they just kill all the white people on this plantation? Because <laughs> that's what it looks like, you know? <laughs> and we all know they had it coming. Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, there, you know, we've seen a lot in dialogue and, and discourse about race recently Regarding, you know, black girl magic. Mm -hmm. And that's what that conjured for me most. Her standing outside that porch. You know, like, this is a magical Mm. black woman right now. Mm -hmm. In a very powerful, affirming way. That cannot be undercut by your white fuckery.
0: And listen, this song was produced by Beyonce's production company, Parkwood. She's one of the most famous, most powerful women in the entire world. Mm -hmm. And... American music, which by and large is what the international community knows as American music, is black music. Mm -hmm. And it has been for the past 50 years, you know? I
1: kind of imagine Justin Bieber's Sorry as kind of like... Did you just say sorry? Sorry, yeah, that's my Canadian sorry. It's part of my speech now. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of imagine Justin Bieber's Sorry as like the aftermath white people response feeling bad about their response to the video? Like, is it too late now to say sorry because y'all acted a damn fool?
0: Yeah. You know, there was a very small part of me of which I'm really not proud when I was sort of engaging in the response to the video, feeling like, oh, you know, I feel just a little left out because I know this is not for me. Mm -hmm. You know, and so that's something I'm really not proud of at all. But I'm such a huge Beyonce fan that I kind of wanted to be part of it.
1: You but can I... get information and you can get in <laughs> in the quiet of your living room. Exactly. I'm going to judge right, you, right, right. you, know?
0: But I read a few, you know, I was like waiting for the cringeworthy think pieces from white people, I think That right? was the
1: very first thing you said to me after right. it was over. Uh, after we finished watching it actually, the first time. I actually,
0: I read one on Huffington Post from a white woman who just said... Listen, I like this video, but it's not for me. It's not about me. So, there I mean, you go. It's kind of about you. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> well, kind of. <laughs> right. But well, was, that's
1: fine. It's hey, not about right. you accept it and move on. Like, let, let black people have their do, their mm-hmm. fun. Like, revel in it and suffer in it. Like, there's so many facets to it. That you don't understand because of your lived experiences. Mm -hmm. That your lived experiences have inflicted on black people. And like, it's uncomfortable. But that's fine. Mm. Like, you don't need to be shouting your opinions from the mountaintop because, like, it's not about you.
0: But everything is about us. (laughs) I mean, we're used to being at the forefront of every dialogue. The only thing missing
1: from that video was having Taylor Swift depicted as some kind of devil. Oh my god.
0: <laughs> this demon. Right. Now, uh something interesting that I saw being talked about was the idea of being proud of being black is somehow anti-white, mm-hmm. right? And so the inverse is true. So th- this movement, this pro-white movement is very obviously a white supremacy movement. And
1: it's exactly the same with the pro men movement, right?
0: (laughs) Exactly. Mm -hmm. Because it's premised on this fallacy that all things are equal, but all things are not. No. We don't start from the same place. Nobody wants to
1: account for the structural inequalities.
0: Right. So the idea that celebrating blackness is oppressive to white people is really stupid. Yeah. Because it doesn't... It doesn't really imperil your lives or your happiness at all. though so it's the same mm, but philosophy that makes Black Lives Matter necessary. But also think why this video
1: is ne- is needed. Why it's something to be celebrated for Black folks. Mm-hmm.
0: Why Black Lives Matter is important. And, you know, why did she want to create this video? Right. Because so many of these... Values and images that she celebrates in the video are demeaned everywhere else, even within her own community. Yes.
1: When she's talking about having, loving her Jackson Five nose, Mm -hmm. like, come on. Like, this hit on so many areas of conflict and turmoil within and outside the so called black community. Mm -hmm.
0: And what really, really sets me off is when I hear a feminist critique. Of her saying, I slay or bow down, bitches, you know, saying, oh, well, this sort of invalidates all of the sort of empowering features of her music because she says, I slay. She doesn't say you suck. She says, I slay. It's a celebration of herself. And she's sort of empowering everyone to do the same. You mm-hmm. know, But it's not like we are the world. It's not everybody, you know. What this
1: video also does is that it highlights that we're at a point where some 30 odd years, 40 years into the feminist movement, it hasn't been inclusive enough. It hasn't been effective enough to be able to bring black women along. Mm -hmm. Like white women and white feminists have excluded black women in their movement for decades now. And so if black women are taking their torch and running with it, like, that's a negative reflection on you. Right. Like, we are... Beyonce is making this video out of necessity. Not out of just because she wants to. Mm -hmm. It's because black women have been excluded at every turn.
0: And as, quote-unquote, white feminists, why do you feel threatened? Is it because you feel white guilt? Or... I don't know. I don't know.
1: I mean, white guilt presupposes that they give a fuck. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which I, I really okay. doubt is the
1: case, you know? <laughs> it's really about being feeling excluded. Right. Like, there's nothing that people of privilege hate more than feeling that things aren't about them and feeling excluded.
0: That is true. You know? Mm. And speaking of being excluded, Coldplay supposedly was the featured artist on the Super Bowl halftime show.
1: Supposedly. So,
0: but also in that video, in that,
1: you know, black dress with the wide brim hat, mm. when Beyonce had her fingers up, right? She flipped the bird to whomever. If you think it fits your description, it probably did. <laughs> you know, that's what that video was. It was a big affirmative fuck you to everybody who mm-hmm. deserved it. I'm not here to tell you who deserves it. Because, like, you should know.
0: Right. And it's... It, like, politicized the concept of haters. Mm-hmm. It's not about haters, you know? She makes a passing reference to uh, the haters with all this Illuminati mess, right? So Taylor Swift traffics in haters. Mm-hmm. But people with more pressing political needs traffic in a piece of stunning work like this. Yeah. You know? um, Beyonce has charisma. Uniqueness. Nerve. And talent for days. Weeks. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, we saw her on the halftime show with her Michael Jackson getup with those bullet vests. What are they called? That was a clear homage to Michael Michael. Jackson. Uh Uh-huh. With her Black Panthers dancers. Uh Uh-huh.
1: He had Coldplay coming out with this hippie shit, you know, piano, oh we are Lord. the world, da 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 love,
0: blah-blah-blah-blah-blah. This cultural appropriation. Yep. This British colonial fantasy. Because mm-hmm. they did that wretched song in India with Beyoncé, uh-huh. you know? And then
1: Miss Bruno Mars comes on. <laughs> and, and she slayed. I'm, uh, I mean, like, Bruno, <laughs> I don't care for Bruno's music necessarily, but I... I'm here every day for his live performances mm. because
0: he is uber talented, right? And some of those da- dance moves, come on. And like, I don't know what you heard about The Weeknd, but Michael Jackson's heirs are Beyonce and Bruno Mars, okay? <laughs> current. <laughs> currently, there they currently.
1: are. It was once Usher, it was once somebody before him, but whoever you think the presumptive next is, it's mm. not The Weeknd. <laughs> it is not. <laughs> the Weeknd is really a Monday night.
0: <laughs> oh my god! A Wednesday afternoon, perhaps right? uh, maybe happy hour. <laughs> the most depressing <laughs> happy hour I've ever
1: heard. And then so the co-play happens, Bruno happens. Like this is starting to get bumping, and you're like, "When is she coming out?" Mm-hmm. And there she is, because Beyonce don't need no stage. She's got every last bit of those hundred yards. stomping around in the outfield, in the field. Right. At the 20-yard line, there's Beyonce getting in formation. (laughs) In high heels, on turf. Mm -hmm. I mean, visually, that was just unreal. And for all these people who are talking about, oh, you know, Beyonce, you know, is very inappropriate. It was, you know, uh, so, it was so obscene. What was obscene? Beyoncé hasn't worn pants for over f- 10 years. That's what she wore at exactly. halftime show. Yeah. But you have Miss, Miss, Miss Rudy Giuliani coming on Fox <laughs> News because some lackey told him that mm-hmm. this is an opportunity. Because you know he didn't watch the halftime no, he show. he not watch it. He don't know nothing about formation. He got some talking points and said, go on Fox. And then his opinion is valid. No, it's not valid. You are invalid. Like you haven't been relevant for since nine eleven, and that was only out of necessity.
0: So like step off. Mm-mm. But you know Rudy Giuliani does not miss a call from Fox News. No. He sees that on his right? phone and says, Yep. I mean I'm that's there. probably
1: his only source of income right now. Like what else does he do? And so Beyonce dances up a storm, gets on stage, almost falls down, catches herself because she's mm-hmm. Beyonce and makes it look like it was part of the choreography. <laughs> And then her and Bruno get into this kind of, like, dance-off, and there's Chris Martin in the background, looking and, all left out. And everyone
0: was like, he's still there? Right.
1: The headliner? Where's the <laughs> headliner? It's like, you're going bi- to... I mean, it's unfair to Coldplay, because, like, you cannot have a billing that says Coldplay featuring Beyonce and expect it to go any which way. Mm-hmm. Any other way.
0: That was weird. It was just weird. I I mean, why even ask them? Uh, but,
1: okay, fine. Get over that.
0: Like, Bruno out outperformed him.
1: Right. Like, it was Beyoncé, A, Bruno, A-, and Coldplay, D. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was so weird. It was just so extraneous. That was a massive two days for Beyoncé. When people start doing documentaries, and when, you know, Blue Ivy's niece gets billed to play Beyoncé in a movie. Someday. <laughs> You know, this will feature heavily in the story of Beyonce because this was a turning point in her career.
0: Yeah, I feel like this is the beginning of a new period, you Mm -hmm. know, Um, and oh, just in case that wasn't enough right after the Super Bowl or the halftime show ends formation world tour tickets on sale Tuesday, right? Bitch, are you serious at the end of somebody else's halftime show? Uh Uh-huh. The nerve! if you blinked because you're, uh, like, on cloud nine
1: (laughs) and not paying attention to commercials, there was no audio, really. It was just Beyonce, like, loving herself, bathing around Mm -hmm. in something, you know, black and white. And then the graphic just appeared.
0: I was like, oh, by the way, I'm not sure if I mentioned this, but (laughs) I'm going on a world tour. Who run the world?
1: (laughs) Me. (laughs) (laughs) Me. Which we just got our tickets. Yes. Paid way too much for them. Overpaid, because...
0: A fucking StubHub.
1: I guess in some, for some venues, you're able to get tickets for the pre-sales, but for the Toronto event, like StubHub just bought up. Yeah, all of like them.
0: what kind of trickery did you people pull to get tickets? I, I don't know. I tried on three different occasions, two pre-sales and then the general sale. Couldn't get anything. Zero. Couldn't get the worst seats in the place. They were all gone every time. Lo and behold, so there is mad. tens of thousands available on StubHub. Though. Right, mm. inflated. Anyway, that's not going to be our rant. We have a better rant.
1: That was an introduction to the rant. The rant's a bit extended. That was this a week. ramping
0: up. <laughs> <laughs> were you? You're Rihanna now.
1: That was more Rihanna than any Jamaican accent. Uh, yeah, we're okay? going to
0: talk about the Grammys
1: because <laughs> Rihanna has six Grammys and Taylor Swift has like. 12 Grammys now.
0: She has like 20,000 Grammys.
1: And have you heard that as the first woman to win Album of the oh my Year God. twice, oh my lord! I am going to take the Olympic torch of white feminism oh and deliver it to
0: the white feminist Olympics. Jesus. Let's just get right into that. Please. So Taylor Swift beat Alabama Shakes and Kendrick Lamar for Album of the Year mm-hmm. for an album that came out, what, like 12 years ago? It's had like 10 singles that all kind of sound the same. She's won her second album of the year award. And she comes up with an axe to grind. Deservedly
1: so. Like Kanye deserves to have a little bit of a clap back, right? Fine. I'll give her that. But yeah. Do not... He's a misogynist. Do not conflate that with being some kind of face of feminism. Because that's not what that was. That was entirely self-serving.
0: It was very rehearsed. And it was... She had a score to settle, and cloaked it in, I want all the young girls around the world to listen to what I have to say. As if this is empowering. No. She had a score to settle against Kanye because he did her wrong. He's misogynistic. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't cool what happened, but that was a long time ago. You want me to believe like you give a damn
1: about women in music when you have all your male producers... And male writers standing behind you mm-hmm. on stage. Who's on like, stage? Where with are the women behind you on stage? Where are the women of color behind you on stage? And we have not forgotten your little interaction with Miss Nicki Minaj, no. right? Like you have receipts for days and missteps for days, mm-hmm. undercutting your supposed message here. So, like, I, no. the, the cur- we see you. The cussing that happened when, that, oh when we watched that.
0: The thing with Taylor Swift is that I feel that she, like, stumbles upon feminist ideas by accident. hmm She, you know, and she uses them as a weapon when it suits her. You know, so when Tina and Amy made a joke about her at the Golden Globes, she says there's a special place in hell for women who don't help women. Which has just been used as a freaking machine gun by Madeline Albright. Mm-hmm. With... Hillary Clinton, right? I'm implying that women who don't support Hillary Clinton are no feminists at all. And there's a great responsibility to support any woman who is trying to achieve something, Uh-huh. which is silly and cause quite a backlash. But, you know, when when Taylor wants to go after other women, when she wants to make an entire video about how much she hates Katy Perry, that's cool for her there's not a special place in hell for her. But when anyone dares attack her, she's a feminist again. This is why Kanye West is
1: such a piece of shit, because he's create, He didn't create her fame. No. But he's definitely created this monster.
0: <laughs> right? Perhaps. But I think it also shows... You know, Taylor Swift, okay, she recorded an album that I guess was catchy. Uh, there were some catchy tunes, like
1: we were definitely singing along against our will none, at times None that you. I like. No,
0: but you were held captive by the catchiness of it on occasion. And she's talented at making music that sells. Yeah. That people want to hear and radio wants to play. She but is very
1: consistent in delivering questionable live performances. Que-
0: que- questionable? Questionable, you know. That is a gift. Calling P- it pitchy, questionable. Pitchy. And it was just such a buzzkill. Especially this year at the Grammys, mm-hmm. you know, we saw an absolutely stunning performance by Kendrick Lamar, a radical, pretty shocking i I don't know a lot about Kendrick's music to be totally honest, mm-hmm. but I was shocked that the Grammys allowed that to go on,
1: and we also saw the the performance of the night for me was from Alabama shakes. Like, oh that was a coming-out party. Oh my god. And this is where Taylor Swift loses all the solid footing that she thinks she has. Because it's really quicksand. Because she has all these accolades and this elevated status in pop music. Mm. When her talent just isn't there. Like you, And the problem is, it's not just, you know, white women who aren't being recognized. Right. She's being lauded at the expense of black people. Like, who are the black women who aren't winning these awards or getting the recognition because Taylor Swift and her, and her mediocrity is taking all the spotlight? How many times has mm-hmm. Jasmine Sullivan been nominated without winning anything? Like, I'm glad you mentioned her. Taylor Swift winning over Alabama Shakes. Like, the Grammys, when you see these people perform, like, there's no question about where the talent lies. You hear these people sing... And it it's just ridiculous mm-hmm. that Taylor Swift believes that she deserves Tim all Swift that she has after
0: that performance. Not, to j- open not the show. just
1: that she's been given these awards, but that she believes she deserves them. That's well, the real fucking up. Because she's
0: worked hard. Yeah. You know.
1: That's that Justin Gimmelstab politics. Right. Let's bring it right back.
0: That's assuming that no one else has worked hard. Right. And that you didn't have many levels of support that helped you get to where you are. In you know, every
1: aspect of society, the system is rigged against black people.
0: But the Grammy still wants to use mm-hmm. black creativity yep. to get people watching, to get people talking. You had Miguel sing a tribute to Michael Jackson. There's John Legend. There's a extended tribute to Lionel Richie. The R&B artist who didn't perform on the show. Right. D'Angelo had an amazing comeback. Jasmine Sullivan put together a really stunning R&B album, worked with some great producers. But it's R&B, so
1: she can only be nominated (laughs) in the R&B category.
0: Right, but like, who are we talking about the next day? We're talking about Kendrick Lamar. We're talking about the 30 seconds that Beyonce was on stage. Mm -hmm. It's just, it makes me think of sports in the way that, like, who is in the front office? You know, so the people who are making the product are not being recognized the people who are in the like owner's box who are in the plantation house they're the ones sort of being able to set the standard of who's being celebrated and this is where
1: beyonce is a revolutionary because she's taking ownership of that plantation house right right that was one of the messages of the formation video
0: and you know is 1989 going to go down in history as as like a real important cultural moment I don't know. But Kendrick Lamar's album is the soundtrack to a new civil rights movement. I don't know. It's totally infuriating to me because it's like black artists can shape modern American music for the past 50 years and they can reach from the outset, incredible creative heights and still lose to Taylor Swift. You know, and I thought I was done being angry mm. about the Grammy Awards because I know they're a joke. Yeah, like they're totally laughable. Do you know who
1: Taylor Swift is? Taylor Swift is that white group in Dreamgirls who takes Cadillac cars yes. <laughs> and then remixes it to their whitewashed version and wins all the awards. <laughs> Got me a Cadillac. Oh my God! Cadillac, stop. Cadillac, Cadillac. Got me a Taylor Swift car. <laughs> i hope i want dream girls is the movie that i've seen most in theaters i saw it at least five times in theaters so like Mm. i i know that movie like front to back i hope you do as well
0: (laughs) can we talk just for a moment about adele (laughs) because people were so savage talking about her saying she's not a real vocalist and this proves it and like listen if i were her and the Grammys fucked up my sound so bad, I would never come back. Not only that, you would have stopped your performance
1: mid-performance and right. destroyed the stage. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let's be real I mean, here. I so some mic fell onto one of the piano uh, strings and made this weird clinking sound, which mm-hmm. I heard. And I wasn't sure what sort of demonic nonsense that was in the <laughs> moment. And then I was also wondering... If there was something wrong with her monitor, or she was thrown off by that. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, there were some really Un-Adele bad, like moments. bad yes. moments where her pitch went totally off the rails. Let's be real, though. Nobody was
1: asking for her to sing that song. Nobody. No. What is that song? Nobody was asking for her to sing that song. <laughs> it's sounded like an album cut that didn't quite make a Midnight to Celine record whoa like it was really bad it was not a good song and the fact that it wasn't sung mm-hmm. as it was intended because at least you know you'd be able to rely on some Adele notes yeah you know, like oh you know some you know glory sing notes. girl you know <laughs> but like when it got to the glory part it's like damn like that I've never heard that from her before
0: no exactly it's uncharacteristic
1: yeah but um, we've they've all be, I mean that's the other thing right like Taylor Swift had those moments every night Yes. Without, you know, technical mm-hmm. glitches to blame. It's just her own inadequacy.
0: <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> you know, so and like... Some people were talking about how... Uh, what's her name? Demi Lovato was like slaying... They've been saying... Hello all over oh the place. God. I'm like, what were you listening Every
1: to? Every week I get a new... I use Feedly. Every week I get a new something saying that Demi Lovato slays this, slays like, that.
0: Stop. Stop, Disney She's people. not
1: good. Who are you, tweens? I, I weep for the younger generations, like people half my age. I'm not that, not even that old. I'm only 31, you know, but like, what are you people
0: listening to? I will say, I had heard of Tori Kelly before and I was like, who the fuck is that? And then I saw her on the Grammys mm-hmm. sing with that other guy and then, totally blow him off the stage. Uh-huh. I was like, damn. Yeah, damn. Girl can't,
1: well, no, we did. You do this thing where you watch all these compilation videos on YouTube. Oh, uh, yeah. Because you like to have all these young people tell, like, these are the new queens this new queen did it, and your old queen is old. And then I like to scream at the TV. You know? And so, Tori Kelly is featured very heavily, and within that context of, like, you know, comparing her to one of the greats, you're like, pfft.
0: Like, you know? What the hell is this? But I, she can sing. Admittedly, I don't know any of her original music, mm-hmm. but she can really sing. Yes. I really, really liked her performance. And
1: she gets brownie points, hash brownie points, gold stars for her reaction to Taylor Swift's album of the year win oh because that Lord. gif shall live on forever right with Rose and that jewel that she ah, into what? the middle of the Atlantic
0: Ocean what <laughs> and lest we forget that was in direct reaction to what Taylor was saying live so don't mm-hmm. let anyone tell you differently uh, I I really really wish that Jasmine had been asked to perform because her voice is an absolute national treasure she is she is something truly special and lauren hill was supposed to come play with the weekend but she was probably like "Mm, weekend yeah she probably i mean she got
1: her days mixed up she thought it was a monday night well it was a monday night the grammys were a monday night
0: so she really should have been there but listen (laughs) you know you know lauren hill does not know who the is. I think she probably went on YouTube and listened to a song. She's like, mm, "No thanks." She was probably like, "Well, the Grammys really aren't paying me that much,
1: you know. Like, <laughs> I've got this tax bill to pay off."
0: Oh, and no! How so, dare like, you bring no that point. up? How dare you?
1: <laughs> we love Lauren Hill. We do. Quickly, so we've gotten through that. The last bit in this segment where we address pop culture through a racial lens, mm. if we want to call it that, Cam Newton and the backlash to Cam Newton's press conference after the Super Bowl.
0: Cam Newton was the MVP this season, right? Yes. Okay, I don't know a lot about football, so bear with me. You know, he went into the Super Bowl as kind of the next star, and the Panthers were, were nearly be- undefeated this year. They lost one They lost right? one game.
1: The Denver defense just stifled them out of the Super Bowl. Okay. Cam Newton gave a questionable performance. There was some fumble that he didn't even really move to get or recover. Mm. And it was not a good look. Right. Fine. Whatever.
0: So he was obviously disappointed, mm-hmm. crushed. He was kind of flailing around on the sidelines when yeah. Denver scored their last touchdown. So he spent, what, like six minutes in press conference afterward? And I don't gave even know how long it was. Answers. It was very
1: curt, And then eventually he just got up and left. And there was this whole chorus of people saying, well, this is unacceptable. (laughs) And I'm listening to these people get all hot and bothered, but I'm like, I deal with this on a weekly basis when it comes to Williams pressers. Right. You know, like like Venus just missed or skipped an Australian open press conference. It was the end of the world. Mm -hmm. Surprisingly, we're still alive. (laughs) Well,
0: this is a pattern.
1: Right? And... So many people were just caught up in the policing of Cam Newton's behavior. And I don't care what you want to say. Whoever wants to say it. Peyton Manning policing his behavior is not the same stakes as policing Cam Newton's behavior. No, it's just no, not. No, no, no. It's um, not a good look.
0: I don't know how deep you want to get into this right now. However you want to talk about it. <laughs> well, you know, you had that racist piece of shit. What's his name? Romanowski. Yes. Call Mm -hmm. Cam Newton boy on Twitter, Mm -hmm. which you clearly know the implications of calling a black man a grown man boy. And if you you, know, and if you don't
1: know, that just goes to show how probably big a racist you are.
0: Like, how could you be so ignorant? It's like the people who dress in blackface for Halloween and were like, "I didn't know that was offensive," and shut up and sit down. Okay, I get criticizing Cam in the moment for like a few minutes. Mm -hmm. Fine. That's his job. You know, going to press is part of your job as an athlete. You get paid a lot, blah, 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 blah. This is the biggest stage of your career. And also, from his perspective, do you want to be that player who pouts? Or do you want to, you know, rise above? Because that's how people have talked about Serena for so long, right? Mm -hmm. And Serena has, in her dotage, sort of... It seems like she's wanted to change the way that people view her. In defeat. As she's gotten older. In defeat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I get that. But why Why are we hammering it home for weeks? It's weeks now after the Super Bowl. And let me break talk it shows to you. are still talking about it. Let me, let me it. tell you something
1: that you may not be aware of. It matters very little. In the grand scheme of life, in the grand scheme of the NFL, Mm-hmm these press conferences don't mean a damn thing no they don't like had he been the bigger person and a good sport or however you want to term it great more power to him he wasn't it's also not the end of the world because it's also not a big deal Mm -hmm. you know this pontificating and denigrating him from up high like i'm just not
0: here for that but it just smacks of you know the ownership not liking how their servants are behaving Mm -hmm. in front of company.
1: And you managed to find Greg Popovich's routine, horrific, like, interviews, Mm -hmm. hilarious. You know, like, we laugh at those. We can find humor in Belichick's interviews. Right. But Cam Newton, all of a sudden, we all want to turn into Bill Cosby. (laughs) Right?
0: Right. Pull your pants up. And And, you know, to me, this is similar... To, like, policing uh, end zone celebrations and stuff. It's silly. I I really don't think it's very consequential. David Stern, in the middle of his reign of the NBA, wants
1: to make sure that black people weren't dressing like thugs on the sidelines. Yeah, Like, everybody dressed like they were an executive. Well, you know, guess what? Like, black people buy Steve Harvey suits. Like, (laughs) you know, their ways to solve the system at every which turn. Mm -hmm. And so, okay, like... This is not going to be Sunday morning at the white church. Right. And I'm just sick and tired of media people, lay people, coming together in this great chorus of disapproval to tell pe- black people how to behave.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's why Beyonce matters.
1: Yes. And that's the perfect way to end the episode.
0: <laughs> Everybody
1: get information in a celebratory way if you're on board. Because we did not come to play with you hoes. Right and if you are not on board get information and get your shit together okay (laughs) thanks for listening my name is jonathan and i'm james you can find me on twitter jonathan at sportscribe ca and i'm on twitter at ElliotJMR. two l's two t's the body serve is on twitter as well at the body serve as always give us your feedback on twitter give us your feedback on itunes we'd love a review this is the portion of the podcast where we whore ourselves.
0: Mm-hmm. Give us a review on Grinder.
1: <laughs> uh, so, And we'll know how many of you listen to the end of it if you actually tweet back at us and tell us you found that hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, we, we're obviously very interested in tennis. This is a tennis podcast, but we really enjoy the pop culture segments. And there was probably... More pop culture heavy than normally this week. Right. We had a good time. We hope you enjoyed it too. Coming up with uh, the U.S. hard court swing, there's going to be a lot more tennis to talk mm-hmm. about. So look forward to that. Leading into the clay court swing in Europe, and then the French Open. If something comes up, we're gonna talk about mm-hmm. it. All right. And
0: that said, we are trying. You know, we're always trying to figure out the direction of the podcast. So mm-hmm. your feedback is appreciated. Till next time.